Welcome to the Leadership in Yoga podcast hosted by me, Shauna Kruger. And on this podcast, I'll be bringing you interviews with exceptional leaders in the yoga world alongside trainings and tips so you can experience true breakthroughs and help others do the same. Leadership in Yoga, welcome back into another episode. And today I'm super excited to introduce you to Sonia Moore. And Sonia is an author, a yoga instructor, and quite the lover of adventure, I must tell you. I just finished reading her first book, Some Kind of Magic, which we'll talk all about today. But she's currently based in Papua New Guinea, uh, also known as PNG if you are a local. And her mission in this lifetime is to create beauty and spread happiness and to have a good time while she's at it. And Sonia, I just wanted to quickly add a little note on your book. I just finished it this morning, so right on time, and you will not believe the number of little dog-eared pages that I have on the bottom of the book, which some people absolutely hate, but for me, that's (laughs) the way that I go about taking notes. I tag the pages and then make a little fingernail crease because I don't like to have a pen when I'm reading, but that's the way that I go back so I can can access everything. So that's the sign of a good book. That's the sign that I, um, you know, really enjoyed it, and to me, it felt like kind of as easy to pick up as, you know, watching a good show. And so it really, um, there's a lot of different synchronicities and things that I related to everything from leaving the corporate world to the travels, the love and all of those (laughs) stories. So we'll get into all of that. But I just wanted to say welcome and that I'm super excited to be able to connect with you and hear your voice after reading so many of your words. So if you want to go ahead and say hello to everyone. Well, hello, Shauna, and hello, everyone. Um, Thank you so much for having me. I'm also really excited to get to talk to you. Um, Also, congratulations on your podcast. I want to say I've listened to a few episodes so far and have really enjoyed everyone, found them so well done and inspirational. So thank you for that. And thank you. I I take that as a huge compliment um, to hear about the dog-eared pages. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) (laughs) absolutely beautiful yeah one year you caught me right at basically the one year anniversary of leadership and yoga I started it like last November 22nd and so I know that you released your book this November 11th I think it is so yeah um, very Mm -hmm. cool timing as well big projects launching in November and (laughs) you know if you're tuning into this episode to give you a little bit of an idea of what we'll talk about today what you'll be hearing about you're really going to hear about the yoga lifestyle magic moments self-discovery meditation and travel and also i think this is kind of a cool topic that we'll touch on as well which is experiencing yoga offerings and when i say yoga of course including meditation and all different forms of yoga but everything from you know meditation centers around the world ranging from luxury stays all the way to these like wooden beds and wooden pillows Sonia that I know that you experienced in a meditation center in Thailand so really beautiful um, kind of array of different experience that you have with yoga offerings and also if you're tuning in make sure and listen all the way to the end of the episode because I'm going to ask Sonia the one of the most important questions, in my opinion, which is the billboard question. So that's a little lay of the land, um, what we're going to get into. But I wanted to start off by asking just a question about a personal curiosity. And I wanted to hear from you, Sonia, because you had so many of these really descriptive moments in your book. And I also was Googling all the time trying to figure out like, 
where's this place that she said? And like, I've never heard of this one and trying to kind of, I was basically, I'm kind of a nerd for learning where different countries and stuff in different cities are. So I was doing that, but one of them that really captivated my attention was when you were talking about this five day market that was set up literally on your doorstep in your house on Market Street in Kala, Myanmar. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing the name of the town correctly, but yeah, yeah, perfect. just your experience. Yeah, your experience waking up to it and kind of like these orderly piles of produce and going out with your basket. Could you tell me about that experience in real life? <laughs> oh, I would love to. That um, was just a an amazing experience. I'm so glad glad that I got to have that and I miss it. <laughs> it was definitely the most convenient shopping ever. So, um, yeah, so this is in the town of Kala in Myanmar, which is a town up in the mountains, just to give you kind of the global setting. Um, and I had rented a house for a few months while I was living there. And it was a two-story house. So my bedroom was up on the second floor and had a little balcony. So I was able to look out and see what was happening in the morning on the street outside. And what would happen is that every five days, there would be a market set up out there. So this was just all the, all the produce vendors who were just, you know, farmers and stuff like that who would come and they were on a rotation. So every five days it would be Kala that they would come to and they would set out their tarps and then set up all these beautiful little piles of carrots and ginger and onions and lima beans and spinach. And um, they would usually start setting up around 5 a.m. So I would roll out there probably around six o'clock or something with my little basket and get the first pickings of everything. And <laughs> it was so just beautiful. so nice. And they're just, they were really sweet people too. Um, I only spoke a few words of Burmese, like I tried to learn the numbers and stuff, but you managed to communicate anyways. And yeah, it was, it was a great time. It's it sounds so cool. I didn't realize that they were on a rotation and that's why they weren't there every day of the week all the time. Mm. But um, I can imagine 6 a.m. market sounds uh, sounds magical because mornings are magic already. So just having that kind of hustle and bustle and picking through, I immediately was thinking of that kind of experience in my mind and just being like, oh, I would love that. I would really, really love that. That's such a unexpected little bonus there of the house that I know you got to stay in for a little while. But it's speaking of houses, actually, I think it makes sense to kind of jump back now to how you basically embarked on this long journey. And the moment that you realized then that you wanted to sell your house, right, this like sanctuary that you had spent a lot of time creating. It wasn't just any sort of house, but you decided, I think it hit you during a yoga class, like uh, during a session. Maybe it was when you were already in your teacher training. I don't remember, but I, I remember that you had described this experience of having it, the, the realization hit you and then just wanting to get up and run out of class <laughs> and immediately kind of take action on that. And you had to restrain <laughs> yourself to say like, okay, calm, stay focused, <laughs> stay in the class. And I immediately <laughs> resonated so much with that because realizations hit me like that as well during class. But tell me about that experience. Um, yeah, so you described it really well. Um, what had So the house was a house in Delray Beach, Florida that I had bought three years prior to that moment in the yoga class. And it was a 
a fixer upper. I'm going to say an eyesore of a fixer upper. Like it was hideous <laughs> when I bought it. Like people make some really weird paint choices. Like there were like cream walls and then they had painted the door jams, this dark chocolate brown. And then the floorboards were the same color. It was so, so weird. But anyways, <laughs> so I spent three years of basically all my free time um, turning that into this beautiful sanctuary. And by the end of it, I just absolutely loved it. And when I decided to leave the U.S., people would ask me, oh, are you going to sell your house? And I would always say, never. You know, I, I love this house too much. I spent way too much time on it. I'm keeping this forever. So fast forward to uh, two weeks. It was about two weeks after I left the U.S., actually. Um, I hadn't yet made it to a yoga teacher training. Um, but I was in a yoga class in Ladakh in the north of India, and I had been in the previous days just walking around, luxuriating in the sense of carefreeness because um, I had quit my job um, and left. I was like, wow, you know, I haven't felt this happy and carefree since I was seven years old. And, mm -hmm. and then while I was in that yoga class, I realized that the one thing that was keeping me from feeling totally happy and carefree was my house. And I realized, you know, I loved that house so much, but suddenly it feels like a ball and chain and I'm, yeah. I'm ready to let go of that. And, mm -hmm. and it was also really interesting because I had been trying to rent the house furnished because I didn't know how long I was leaving the U S for, you know, I thought I might just be back in a couple months and everyone was telling me, Oh, it's going to rent super fast. And for some reason, after three months, I think on the market, it hadn't rented, like every interested renter would fall through for some weird reason. And so I was thinking, hmm, what does this mean? Um, mm -hmm. So then when I decided to sell it and uh, managed to make myself wait until the end of the yoga class to go and call <laughs> my realtor, <laughs> which is an act of extreme willpower, um, we, she put it on the market and it sold in three days. So it was definitely meant to be. But that's really interesting to hear that you've had a lot of those realizations in yoga too. Yeah, I think it's just kind of a space that when you stop trying to work on the problem for a moment, right, then the problem kind of resolves on its own. And you realize, yes. okay, I can't overwork this anymore. So I'm going to set it down for a minute. And the minute you set down the, you know, the worrying, then there's a resolution. So yeah, but that's a big decision. I actually wanted to ask you kind of right off the bat for folks listening and, you know, even myself, right, looking to make big decisions that feel hard, that you don't really feel like there's a clear answer. What is your, what is your advice for being able to decide? That's a great question. And so I'll tell you, I'm a pretty indecisive person in general, or at least I used to be, maybe less so now. But so much of it goes back to what you were just mentioning about kind of creating space and just mm -hmm. setting it down. Um, and it happens to me a lot in meditation too, when you're just sitting there in silence mm -hmm. and you're not probably, you're probably not even thinking about the problem, but all of a sudden the solution will just float up. Um, so sometimes that happens, but then sometimes it happens that you just need to get really clear on what you want. Um, mm -hmm. And that's happened to me before, too. And sometimes it's about asking yourself the right question, because there have been times where I found myself asking, what should I do 
What should I do? Yes. And when I change the question to what do I want to do, mm-hmm. then the answer comes up. Then it comes up. Yeah. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. I think that's very true. And, and in the meditation as well, um, it's still setting it down. But I was curious, you know, when, when people, let's say like we know that we need to set it down, but it feels so hard. It feels impossible, right? To sit down in a meditation while you're having this, you're feeling like you need to work on this problem. What do you feel like are the ways that, and maybe the answer is just experience, right? Just more experiencing what meditation, what yoga can do for you. But for someone who hasn't really experienced that, what what advice would you give to just being open to setting it down? Like, how do we set it down, if that makes sense? Yeah, that's another good question. Sometimes it can be something like, just go running. Um, running is really therapeutic yeah. for me too. And just so great for clearing the mind or whatever kind of movement you like. If you like, if you want to just go lift some heavy weights or do an intense CrossFit <laughs> session or go swimming, just some, or even just go for a walk out in nature, um, like somehow distract yourself. And, and it's true because there are some moments when your mind is just too full, where if you sit down to meditate, it's just not gonna <laughs> it's not gonna work out well um mm-hmm. give yourself time to because sometimes it just takes time for that clarity to come mm-hmm. and another technique that i've used from time to time is just to ask the question and then either open a book at, to a random page or else pull an oracle card and sometimes you will crazily get the perfect answer. Yes. And your reaction to what you find as well. I love the flipping of a coin one as well. Sometimes I'll do that where I will tell myself like, okay, heads means you're going, tails means you're staying like with a job or something. And then when I flip it, I can tell if I'm feeling a little bit disappointed by the answer, you know, or if I'm feeling like, oh, this is a relief. This is exactly what I wanted. So Yeah, that's genius. I love all those. Well, it's so good that you added that too, because that is a really important element because, you know, maybe you'll pull an Oracle card. If it doesn't resonate with you, then yeah, it's not your answer. It's, but yeah, sometimes it lets you see how you feel about it. And then that's your ultimate answer. Yes. It's still, it still answers in some way, some form usually. Um, Very cool. So we're going to jump around a little bit, but, um, and without telling the whole story, no spoilers, hopefully not too many spoilers, (laughs) but I do know that things ended up aligning and you um, ended up seeing the Dalai Lama in person and just kind of talked about being impacted by his sheer presence. Was there anybody else like that, that you ran into on your time in your, in your travels in Asia? No, that is the only time I've ever had the experience of being impacted so strongly by any person's presence. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm probably there are other individuals that have that impact on people. I just haven't met them yet. I've heard, I've heard of some mm-hmm. Indian sages and stuff that people have had similar experiences. But I think part of it was probably the setting too, because it was in... Mm-hmm the temple in in Dharamsala, which is where he lives. And it was full of thousands of Tibetans who have so much just genuine 
admiration and devotion for him, but also mm -hmm. just him. I think he's, he's really a special being, super cool, just very yeah. humble, very down to earth and very genuine. So yeah, my theory about that is just that he's so full of just compassion and love that it just spreads out and that you feel the vibration and that it, it impacts you. Absolutely. I can only imagine. So that's fascinating. I wanted to know, you know, I was, I was thinking about that because obviously you're meeting so many people on so many different levels and some of them incredible people as well. But I was curious if anybody had kind of touched you just with the presence and maybe on that level. But um, the fact that the answer is no is actually even more powerful, right? It speaks really highly of that experience. How beautiful. Yeah. And uh, I mean, definitely we all, I mean, we all have an energy that we feel, you know, so I definitely mm -hmm. felt positive energy from other sources, but to be touched totally. to that point, to be brought to tears. Yeah. That's the only yeah. time it's ever happened. Wow. Speaking of moments that brought you to tears, um, I feel like you had a lot of these sort of peak moments, right? Like, like we all do, we have these peak highlight moments where, we kind of realize that right here, right now, this is this is where I'm meant to be. I don't want to be anywhere else. I'm extremely present. And one of them that stuck out and um, or stood out in my mind was in Mount Tapias in the Philippines. Is that yeah. how you pronounce? <laughs> yes, yeah, Mount Tapias. Mount Tapias. <laughs> yeah when you, you know, hiked up and, and just gave this description, right, of finally what it felt like after all of the years, just wanting to go on to the next thing and what was coming next, what was the next beautiful place or even in, in the career, right? Like what was your next move? And then to be in a place that was just so captivating, whether it was an energy or a state of mind or some other realization that you had had in this moment, but it was without, you know, without desire to be anywhere else in the world. What do you think caused that? Like what brought you to that sort of realization? Um, that's another very good question. I think it was um, a lot of, a lot of working through things because at that point um, I had been, I had, let me see, I'm trying to put a timeline. So I had quit my job probably about eight months prior, I had quit my job. And then I think I had mm -hmm. left the US like four months prior. And so since then I had done just a lot of meditation, you know, 10 days silent Vipassana retreat, a yoga teacher training, and this Ayurvedic Panchakarma experience, and just a lot of different things that I, it felt like peeling away layers that were layers mm -hmm. of conditioning that we build up in response to our mm -hmm. cultures and our life experiences. And some of them are really not beneficial to us anymore. Mm -hmm. So, and I think all of those experiences probably helped clear my mind little by little, but it was um, also just this moment of taking just a couple seconds to become really fully present because I had hiked to the top of that mountain, which was a lot of stairs. It was like 726 stairs or something like that. 
And so it's a lot of effort to get to the top, but I got to the top and I'm like, okay, this is very beautiful. I took a picture and then two months, like two minutes later, I'm ready to walk down. And I was like, wait a minute, that was a long walk up here to just stay for two minutes. Maybe I should stay a little longer. So at that moment I looked again and it was like, it just came into focus. Like I hadn't really seen it the first time. And it just hit me at that moment how incredibly beautiful it was. And then, yeah, it just became this experience of feeling so content and peaceful. Mm-hmm. And, and then I realized, wow, yeah, <laughs> I've been wanting to feel like this my whole life. So, And yeah. then you were there and it was happening. Yeah. Yeah. I I like that you mentioned this idea of peeling back layers and in order for the moment to come into focus for what it really is. Do you think that that's kind of the main thing that helps us experience more of these peak moments or, or what is it? Is it changing environments? Is it, is it the training? Is it the meditation? Is it the mindfulness or what else? Like what else do you think it is? I think it can be a lot of things. Um, I think the, I think all of the above. I mean, I think changing environments is really helpful because you're seeing something that you've never seen before. And if you just mm-hmm. constantly go around in life repeating the same steps every day and seeing the same things, you tend to develop this expectation of what you're going to see, you know, so you're looking through this mm-hmm. filter of, what you expect to happen. Um, And then also just, yeah, the peeling away of layers or even just kind of sweeping away of mental clutter so that Mm. that clutter isn't in the way of what you are seeing and experiencing. I guess it's kind of like, have you heard this Zen, I don't know, little story about this this guy who goes to this famous monk and wants him to teach him. And then he like pours him a cup of tea or something. And then he, I'm, I'm <laughs> paraphrasing this really badly, but basically he gives him the full cup of tea and he's like, your cup is full. I can't put any more in when your cup is full. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like emptying the teacup so that mm. something new can come yeah. in. I think. See. Totally. Totally. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And I would agree. It's like, you don't necessarily need to be in an exotic, crazy environment, but still allowing the space, removing the clutter, or maybe it is changing environments can allow for something new to come in where beforehand it was filled with, with the old stuff. Right. (laughs) Very Mm -hmm. cool. So I feel like one of the other things too that I wanted to to touch on before we get much further in the interview is just all of the the synchronicities not only within your own story but within mine as well. Um, very interesting things, and one of them that is later in the book, and so it kind of comes to my mind is just when you were basically separated, doing long distance with your partner for I don't know how many months. I think it was like five or seven or seven was that it five or seven 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 Mm -hmm. crazy (laughs) so I did long distance with my partner uh four months was the max that we were apart but he's from Venezuela and so 
when he didn't have a visa to come to the U.S. We were waiting, and so we waited an entire year, and I'd see him like every three to four months. So I was <laughs> very oh. much feeling your your pain and like the just the craziness of what it is to have a complex human relationship, right, um, over that amount of time. So that was one of the things. But the the other one that was really funny to me was just how you mentioned throughout the book different time and the synchronicity of, okay, looking at your clock and seeing that it's 11-11, right? <laughs> Have you always been interested and, in, like, fixated on that? Or when did you – like, when did that come about? Because I was asking myself the same thing. I noticed it also. But I remember being like in middle school and saying like 11-11, make a wish. But I never knew like where it came from or why I did it. But what about you? Like what's your story with the the number synchronicity? Well, that's cool. I love that you see them too. And you were ahead of me back in, in middle school. I had no recognition of this. It came from, I remember I was in Cleveland at the time. I was visiting my friend mm -hmm. Anisha. And I think this must have been... I was probably in my 20s, like late 20s or something. So it's probably like 12 years ago. <laughs> um, but she's she told us like, guys, I'm seeing these repeating numbers all the time. <laughs> and she didn't attach any like meaning to it or anything. She's just like, oh, this is like, I'm seeing them at these really interesting times. And so after she said that, then I started noticing them too. And I would mm -hmm. always just take them as kind of a little wink from the universe. I would take it as a little sign that something good is going to happen. I don't, think I, mm -hmm. I don't think I said to myself back then, a wink from the universe. I say that now. But I think I just felt like, oh, it means something <laughs> good is going to happen. <laughs> yeah. But then later on, when I really started noticing it, it was, uh, it was in that job interview that I describe in chapter four of the book, when I started noticing, like I noticed th at three key points of the interview stages, I noticed I saw 111, mm -hmm. 222, and 333. And I was like, wait, mm -hmm. okay. Hmm. And then I started, after that, I started writing down and taking screenshots and stuff when I would see those mm -hmm. numbers at really interesting times. And when I was going back and writing the book, it just struck me how many there were. And especially like I call them sandwiches when you see them like at the beginning of an experience and then after like a 555 and 1111 mm -hmm. or whatever, like if you go to bed and see it and wake up, I find those really mm -hmm. interesting. And I think it's just such a cool yeah. thing because it's like, what what is making this happen? You know, like what is out there? Mm -hmm. And I think the important thing is that it just shows you that you're not alone. And some kind of force mm -hmm. out there is some benevolent force is looking out for you. So that's my takeaway. I like from this it. idea but, of a. Go ahead. Nope, I was going to say I want to hear more about your synchronicities and your experiences. <laughs> I've never heard of the sandwich idea, though. That's fun. I like that. I guess I was having lots of sandwiches because that's what was happening is that I would like put down the book. And I don't know if, again, it's just that I hadn't been as aware and as present to them because I wasn't thinking about it. Um, but as you were mentioning it at so, so much, it comes up so much. I was seeing so many more of them. It was hilarious. It was like I would like drop my phone on my way up the stairs and then have to go back down. And when I grabbed my phone, it was like 3.33, you know, it just flipped, <laughs> just turned and stuff like that, you know. 
Um, <laughs> so it was kind of it was it was very comical to me, but it also just reminded me, right, of number one, like you said, that we're not alone, and just kind of of the magic of it all, the 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 things that we can't explain, and also just the power of who you surround yourself with, like who you're whose book you're reading, whose content you're tuning into, all of that shapes so much our perception of reality because whether or not those numbers were still appearing for me, I don't know, but it does feel like, okay, I was probably sort of in a tent, like in, in my own way sort of blind to them or growing more blind to them just because I hadn't been thinking about it as much before I read the book. So that was just like one little big takeaway for me. But I think um, moving to the kind of other, I would say biggest synchronicity was that I am, I saw that you host yoga retreats too. I also host yoga retreats and I was naming my yoga retreat with my best friend and business partner. And the name that we landed on for this retreat, because she's a writer um, and we wanted to do yoga and journaling is we landed on the name of find your voice. And I'm not kidding. It was like two days later, I read this really special passages, like one of my favorite passages from the whole book, which was basically about when you realized that you had found your voice as a yoga teacher. And I thought it was really beautiful. Do you know which one I'm talking about? I was going to read it. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Yeah. If you want to read it, you're welcome to. I, I know the one that you're talking about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I want to read um, it just so that um, listeners can can read it um, or can hear it. Or okay. would you? Well, no, I'll read it. I'll read it for them. It might yeah, be weird I'd for love you to, to hear it. me read your own words. But <laughs> I'd love to hear we'll it in go your for voice, it. actually. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds good. So it begins. Uh, Often, when speaking, I would experience a feeling of disconnection, especially if I was talking about something that mattered deeply to me or anything uncomfortable. It was a feeling of two different wavelengths searching for each other, but not connecting the wavelength of what I felt and the wavelength of what I was expressing out loud. In between the two was a mysterious current of discomfort and uncertainty. My own voice was a mystery to me. When I set off on this Asian journey, this is one of the things I wanted most, to find my own voice. Now, I listen to myself as I'm leading the class and I realize this is a voice I didn't have before. This voice is calm and relaxed and confident and full of light. It's not too sweet, too nice, too serious, too gentle, or too bossy. It sounds natural to my ears and feels natural to my heart and it's mine. I love this voice. In this moment of realization, I'm filled with immense gratitude. So that's the little, the little bit there that I wanted to share. Very beautiful. Oh, yeah, it's lovely to hear you read it. And I'm interested that this jumped out at you. And I love the synchronicity with the, the name of your yoga retreat, which I think is a great name as well. But I'm curious because I love your voice. I think you have a really great voice. And when I first started <laughs> listening to your podcast, I was like, oh, my God, I can listen to her talk all day long. It's just so calming and smooth. Um, so have you ever had a similar situation where you felt like a bit disconnected from your voice? I would say so because I've always felt really drawn to public speaking, but I've also always been terrified by it. 
I mean, even to this day, it's not that I'm terrified to teach a yoga class, but when I get up in front of a room of people, I get the adrenaline spikes, which is really normal. I know a lot of us Mm -hmm. do, but I totally can feel my adrenaline spike the minute that I know I'm about to open my mouth. And the minute that I start speaking, it it just, ah, just goes down. But Um, I would say that I used to be really fearful of those moments, right? And so I would avoid them. I would never sing in front of people, for example. I (laughs) I just, it's not that I, I guess, didn't like my voice, but I didn't trust it, I guess. That's what I would say. Um, It's never that I found my voice hard to listen to. I know some people say, how do you podcast? I could never listen to myself speak. And it's like, you get used to it. You know, you get used to how your voice sounds. But for me, it was just more of that, of not really trusting in those moments, those key moments is like you mentioned here in this paragraph is what's going on in here in my head going to be what's coming out energetically. Is it going to land with people the way that I want it to? Yeah. Yeah. And I've thought more about that that whole experience, because it was a it was a really important thing for me, and and you know I've also I've wondered what was it that caused that feeling of disconnection, and I think part of it was mm-hmm. number one not really knowing fully who I really was, and mm-hmm. number two a fear of how what I had to say would be received, and just caring too much mm-hmm. about what other people thought about it yes um yeah yeah did you experience that in the way that you know you might have been thinking about what people were thinking about while you're teaching did you experience that when you're writing your book was there kind of like a imposter syndrome or a difficulty in finding your voice or not so much um no I wouldn't say imposter syndrome because the the book is just me and what happened and it's very real. But in the beginning, when I was deciding to write the book, I just felt like, who am I to write a book about myself? Like (laughs) I'm not famous. I'm not Michelle Obama or (laughs) Britney Spears. Like who wants to read a memoir by me? But the thing is that I didn't write the book because of me. I wrote the book because of the story and what happened and because of all the magic mm-hmm. and the detail that happened and and because I thought mm-hmm. that this can bring something beautiful in the world and I felt that the story wanted to be told. So um, so I decided to write it for that. But as I was writing it, it was really a beautiful experience writing the book. It was so much more than I expected. And while I was writing it, I was really just in it. And mm-hmm. I wasn't thinking about what people would think And especially, I think the first draft, you're really just writing it for yourself. You're writing just to get on paper, like what happened. And Mm -hmm. there's there's so much that I edited out from the first version because some of it is just like, nobody needs to read that. That was just me like (laughs) venting (laughs) for three pages about my, the corporate world. Like, (laughs) okay, delete. Uh, (laughs) But that's part of the process, you know. Um, But then it was, it was in the editing stages when I'm trying to read it as a reader and then I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, God, like, do I want to let people <laughs> read this? Because <laughs> it's, it's really opening a window into your soul. And at, at some opportune moment, when I was in the midst of editing the book, and I had suddenly become filled with this terror about like, oh, my God, like, 
people are going to read this and what if they think it's stupid and then I'll just be crushed. And I heard something that Brene Brown said on a podcast, or it wasn't a podcast, sorry, it was, I think, with an interview with Marie Forleo. And she said, what you are asked to do is walk to the top of the stairs, take off all your clothes and get totally naked in front of this room of people. And I was like, yeah, that's exactly what it feels like. <laughs> I'm like, okay, if, if that's what we're asked to do, okay, great. <laughs> so yeah. that's yeah. what it feels like. Oh my gosh. What would be your advice to someone who is in, they have this kind of whisper of, hey, I want to, I'm thinking about writing a, bu- uh, a book or I'm thinking about sharing this, this story that is, part of me but who am I like who's gonna care who am I to share this what would be your advice to someone who's feeling that way um what I've heard I I didn't come up with this on my own it was uh I think Gabrielle Bernstein who I heard say this um she said who are you not to share it and Mm -hmm. yeah why wouldn't you if you have something to share absolutely share it it's that's what we're here for on this planet, I think, or one of the things we're here for is just mm-hmm. to share with each other what we've learned from life and these nuggets of mm-hmm. wisdom. And you ha- you don't know who who you might help by sharing your story. And I also think, um, because what I discovered in writing this book that I didn't expect is that it was such a cathartic experience um in dealing Mm -hmm. with moments of really intense emotion um and some yes unpleasant intense emotions because while i was writing it the first draft i was reliving it and so i would get angry again at this moment you know and then and then the anger would pass like it would be on paper and then when i went back to reread it and edit it i realized wow the emotion is gone it's really it just pulls it out of you and onto paper so i think that even if you never plan to publish your story or even if you never plan to let another soul read it just write it for yourself like i think i'm I'm not a specialist on trauma or anything but i think that that could be really helpful Mm -hmm. but double check me on that you know i don't want to recommend anything but just i think it's a a healthy way to, to deal with that emotion Did you, it seems like you did journaling during the travels. Is that correct? Did you write quite a bit? Yes. Yeah. Although not regularly. I'm a very sporadic journaler. Mm -hmm. Um, I would typically just write either, you know, sometimes I would write when something really beautiful happens and I would want to remember that or, or just, I don't know, whenever the desire to journal came to me, but it was definitely helpful. I was was really going back and. In writing. Totally. (laughs) I was so struck by just the level of detail and I was questioning myself. I was like, would I be able to remember that much detail from the time that I spent in this place? I don't know. But I do think that as you go through and you do write, um, I've experienced this with the podcast is that I remember more of my own stories. It's, it's (laughs) It's quite interesting the process as I kind of pull up different stories to kick off and and share and attach them to deeper meaning. I'm remembering more and more of the stories that were super meaningful to me that I didn't write down for whatever reason back before I I did journaling. And so 
it is cool. And I do think that it absolutely helps with processing emotion. I think you're spot on there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also want to say about memory. So I have a I have a pretty bad memory myself. So I could not have written this mm-hmm. book just from from memory. Um, and even now it's funny, like I'll go back and read little parts of it. I'm like, oh yeah, I, for- <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> um, yeah. But besides journaling, there were actually a lot of sources that were helpful to me. Um, some pictures. I also had a, I kept a blog that was also sporadically updated while I was traveling. So that helped. Mm-hmm. But what really helped me was correspondence with friends Um, because I had a couple different ones that particularly one of my friends, we got into this habit of leaving voice memos pretty much Mm -hmm. daily back and forth to each other. And another friend I would sporadically email and I would and because I'm incapable of telling stories without a lot of detail, I just don't know how to do that. I would apologize to her at the end of like, I'm sorry, there was so much detail in here. You're probably so bored. And it was my friend Lauren, and she's literally the sweetest person in the world. She would write back and be like, No, I loved the detail. I could have even read more detail. So I was like, Really? You want more? Like, okay. And so then I got it like as a joke, I would I would title them as if they were chapters of a book. I would be like, the subject of the email would be chapter 37. <laughs> and uh, it was really helpful later on when I was writing the book to go back and read that, but also to listen to those voice memos. Although at that point, I did get so sick of the sound of my voice. I had to go back through so many voice memos <laughs> to find some <laughs> events that I was looking for. But, um, when but, did you decide to write the book? It was... Let's see, October, was it October? It was October or November, speaking of November again, 2020. And Mm -hmm. I'll try to answer this without giving away any spoilers. Um, But I had, (laughs) (laughs) at that point, I had arrived in a new country. Um, I had just (laughs) sold, quit my job again sold all my stuff. Apparently this is a pattern for me (laughs) and uh, (laughs) moved to this country to be with the man I loved. And, um, I'll get a drink of water too. So I had moved to be with him, but then he was for his job. He was working away for weeks at a time. So I, I -hmm. knew nobody in this country. I arrived two weeks before the second lockdown. It was the middle of COVID. So I'm just in this little space. And throughout my journey, I had been posting a lot of photos on Facebook and Instagram. So a lot of people knew the, you know, the gist of my story, but I had never posted anything about the the love side of it. So I felt mm-hmm. that I kind of needed to explain why I had just <laughs> suddenly had this um, sudden life change. So I wrote a little summary of one paragraph to kind of explain the the love story of it and posted that mm-hmm. and there were so many reactions from people that said like what this sounds like a movie this sounds like a book this needs to be a book and i tend to take things very literally so i'm like oh yeah but uh i'm only half joking there but it really did put the seed into my <laughs> mind <laughs> because mm-hmm. i felt like you guys don't even know the half like you don't even know 100 yeah um yeah because as as i was living it it really felt like a movie like i was like this is not real this 
cannot be happening and working out like this. It's crazy. Um, and I've always loved to write. I never, I wasn't actually planning to write this book, but I always, when I was writing, like I would write, you know, articles and for blogs and stuff, I always felt that I was practicing for something. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, I did, I spent a few days thinking about it and I felt like the story wanted to be told. Um, yes. Cause there was just a lot of, there was so much magic in it. And it was something that, you know, I probably six years ago or 10 years ago. And before that, I didn't know the, that life works like this. And mm -hmm. I would have wanted to read this book 10 years ago. So yeah. Yeah. That's, and that's a beautiful reason in itself to share. I love that. So there's so many things that I could ask you that I want to get into, but I also really know that a lot of our listeners here on Leadership and Yoga are either yogis or yoga instructors themselves. And so I wanted to talk to you a little bit just about your experience before you before you moved to said country, which we won't give away, <laughs> before the one that you're at now, because if it's a big spoiler if we say what it is. Um, but you experience all these different retreats and trainings, right? I was just, I was really struck by it. I was like, wow, you know, you have some serious experience. You could walk into a place and have a lot of knowledge in terms of oh, I've seen this done differently in this place. Like this would make a really nice addition or wow, I've never seen this before. This is actually really nice. And so I, I wanted to ask you, what did you learn about yoga related offerings from all of your experience? I know that's super broad, but I guess kind of what I'm asking you is like, what stands out about the process of investing in yourself through yoga-related offerings? So I'll just say first that I'm, yes, I'm really grateful that I got to have those experiences and I still want to do more. I love learning, so I could just keep on doing yoga teacher trainings forever because everyone is different and mm -hmm. you always learn more and the teachers are always different. So it's a different experience every time. And beyond that, just the experience of, you know, the meditation retreats and Mm -hmm. the, the Ayurvedic retreats, I guess I've learned, I mean, number one, there's so much out there and, yeah. um, definitely, I mean, there's so much inspiration and I love, I love constant inspiration. So I'm always, you know, taking what, what I love and like filing that away so I can pull that out later, um, and share it with other people. But also what I learned is that you, you always have to keep your autonomy because not all mm -hmm. of your teachers are going to be great and not all of them are going to have good intentions either. And there's some shady mm -hmm. characters out there in the yoga world. So um, yes. don't ever let someone tell make you do something you're uncomfortable with. And this even expands to yoga classes. Like whenever you're a student in any yoga class, it's really unfortunate the number of injuries that have happened because of yoga teachers giving assists that are too aggressive. Um, yes. So just always know that you have the right to just say no, you know, like don't, mm -hmm. you know, I don't want an adjustment. Totally. Thank you. Or, you know, I, I don't want to do this particular pose. It doesn't feel good to my body. Just always listen to your yeah. body. When, mm -hmm. um, I, I had one of those injuries from an assist and 
I was very frustrated by it, but I now know that I it happened because now I'm very certain that I will never <laughs> I will never be the cause of that like to somebody else, right? And so, yeah, I agree with you. I think you have to, you know, at the end of the day, you are your own best teacher. You know, and you mm-hmm. learn from other people along the way, but it's it's really it should all be up to you. Yeah. And just, yeah, always run it past that in, inner filter of like, okay, how does this, mm-hmm. I don't know if filter is the right word, like barometer maybe like, okay, how does this feel yeah. like truth to me? And just, um, and uh, to add to that, I guess one of the interesting things I learned too, is that different things resonate with different people. You know, mm-hmm. we're going to love different things. Like for example, I love breath work. I really love Kriya yoga and, and Kundalini and this, these things that will give you this kind of high, but some people really don't like that, you know, and that's, yeah, that's fine. Like some people prefer different kinds of pranayama, like the snow, slower ones, like alternate nostril breathing or, but yeah, Mm -hmm. I think that's cool. Like different paths for different people. Yeah. People have preferences for sure. What about in terms of retreat centers and stays that you had? Because as I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, your experience seemed really, really wonderful in the meditation center in Thailand, I believe it was, where you had the wooden beds and the wooden (laughs) pillow, but you still really enjoyed your time. I guess I'm just looking for like, what were major lessons learned in terms of like okay you were expecting even like cleaning the toilets in that place to be this like terrible thing and it ended up being this kind of transformational experience for you right yeah yeah um number one I'm laughing so the wooden beds with wooden pillows just so you know I'm not I'm not this like hardcore person who's like yeah like put me on a wooden bed and give me a cold shower and no electricity and whatever. Like I like, I've had a long career of five-star hotels and four-star hotels before I left my, my job. So I, I really enjoy my creature comforts, <laughs> but it yeah. was very liberating for me to discover that at least for short-term um, sections, you can be a little bit uncomfortable. Although for the record, I made my wooden bed as comfortable as possible by like spreading my yoga mat out on top of it. Cause I'm like, you know, I really enjoy my shavasanas. Like this should help. <laughs> and then I wrapped my scarf around the wooden pillow. So after adding that, um, yeah, I, it was just exciting to know that I could be happy in spite of that, um, mm-hmm. that temporary discomfort and that you don't, need like those like those creature comforts are wonderful but they're not a requirement for happiness um and it's really interesting because i think once you figure that out life is like okay you got that lesson we'll just keep on giving you your comfort now and then you kind of stop being exposed to these um situations of discomfort Mm -hmm. or your Um, perception of them changes too right and maybe becomes like you'd be more comfortable knowing what to expect, maybe, <laughs> or maybe it's better to not know what to expect, but yeah. Um, and part of it, I guess what I, what I have in my mind that I'm thinking of is, so I did four yoga teacher trainings throughout that period of three years and the initial ones, they were all like, I appreciate all of them and they were all beautiful in their way, but 
they, they were kind of on this trend where the first one had the most negative situations in it, like this really shady character who was the mm-hmm. um, the director who was harassing one of the students and had done some like had this history of like really bad stuff that we found out about later. Um, and then the second one, I actually took a lot of this out um, from the book, but I had written about one of the teachers in the second retreat who was, I don't know, just this really interesting guy in that I considered him just a horrible teacher, but he, he dealing with him put me in some situations where like he was criticizing me for something and I was like, oh, you know, that doesn't bother me that you're criticizing me for this like he told he his criticism was that I have butterfly energy and I'm like yeah I know (laughs) but to him he was like you need to you need to fix this you need to fix this problem like (laughs) get yourself more grounded um and I was like "Mm, no I'm you know I'm not gonna no like I I'm not gonna try to change the essence of who I am which I think was an important Mm -hmm. lesson for me to learn as well but I bring that, I mentioned that just to say that as time went on and I did more and more teacher trainings, like the last two were just wonderful. Like there were no like negative things to deal with. And I'm like, oh, okay, maybe, maybe like as you get the life lessons, things start to get easier. It's kind of a theory, mm-hmm. theory of mine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's true I've only done two teacher trainings but I will say the second one was way better than the first maybe we also get better at reading right like or just selecting in general or we know more that like okay this is for me and we Mm. end up attracting the sort of circumstances that allow us to blossom further but yeah I like your Mm. I like your theory too about it being part of the lesson right because at the end of the day it, it absolutely is Actually, too, on the the subject of teachers, I wanted to ask you in general, and this will be kind of one of our last questions that we have time for today before we get to the wrap up, but what makes an exceptional leader? And this could be in terms of a yoga teacher or in the yoga space or just in general, you know, what, what is an exceptional leader or teacher in your opinion? So no, no wrong or right answers. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm sure there could be a whole episode on that. But just a couple highlights. Um, mm-hmm. Number one, I think integrity. I think really to be a great leader, you have to be authentic and and just have integrity and be someone that people can count mm-hmm. on. Um, mm-hmm. And number two, I mean, for me, the people that I admire as leaders are also approachable and, mm-hmm. you know, kind, patient. Also, I think great leaders tend to have this magnetism that draw people to them. And yes. Yeah. And as far as what makes great yoga teachers, I think there are many different things for that too, but and it it's probably also a matter of opinion because there are different teachers that, you know, different people will gravitate to. But just to, I think, first of all, you have to have a really strong practice yourself and a lot of knowledge about the human body mm-hmm. because, you know, we are dealing with guiding people through physical practices. And if you don't know enough about human anatomy, you can actually do more harm than good, which is obviously not what mm-hmm. we want to do. And 
I think in yoga, just having a great voice and <laughs> being able to guide people, that's, you know, because you are, when you're practicing yoga, you're not so much looking at the teacher as just hearing their voice. So people who are able to just speak smoothly and articul articulately, it's something I really admire that I'm still try striving towards. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, I think you're doing fantastic, I would say. But yes, I agree. I, I think ultimately we hope, right, the students are, are listening um, and hearing our words, not just watching. I, I realize that how... Um, when I went through kind of the phase of stop stopping as much demoing and, and more explaining, I catch people looking at me and I'm like, listen, listen, to <laughs> it'll answer oh, your questions. Funny. But yeah, mm. the complexities of teaching. Wow. Well, go ahead. Oh yeah. I just thought of something I wanted to add to as far as like what makes really great yoga teachers. I know the teachers that I'm drawn to also, it's just who they are as a person. Like there's this kind of aura Yes, or energy yes. that they have that makes me want to go to their class. Mm -hmm. Who they're being in general. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's one of my number one answers, honestly. The very last question, wrap-up question, is the billboard question. And essentially, it's if you had a billboard that was going to be seen by everybody in the world, what would you put on the billboard? What would you share? And it can be, you know, a quote that you live by, it could be an image, doesn't even have to be text. It could be anything that you want it to be. What would you put? Um, that's such a great question. And mine would be very long. So it would need to be somewhere where people spend a lot of time stuck in traffic. <laughs> so they <laughs> can just read the whole thing. But I would put on there, this may not seem to make any sense right now, but it is all happening for a reason and it's all going to work out perfectly. And then I would add, mm -hmm. P.S. You are here for a reason. Beautiful. I could think of a few places where that would be nice to have while you're stuck in traffic on the freeways around here. So <laughs> very nice. Mm. Yeah. I think that sums up nicely too. you know, the what I've gathered and uh, learned from you from reading from reading your book. So I want to give you just a little bit of uh, space if you want to plug your, you know, website, book, upcoming projects, social media, any of that stuff. Where can people find you? Oh, well, thank you. Um, so they can find me on my website, which is soniamore.com, M-O-O-R-E.com. Um, and on there, you'll find all the links of where to find the book, if you want it, um, it's available on Amazon, bookshop.org, Barnes & Noble, lots of places around the world. I will mention that currently the code 10MAGIC, um, like the number 10MAGIC, will give you 10% off at bookshop.org. And you can also find me on Instagram at Moore underscore here, H-E-R-E. And I have a YouTube channel, yoga YouTube channel, which is Breathe, Move, Bliss. Um, and I think that I think that covers everything. Beautiful. <laughs> well, thank you so much. It was really nice, you know, chatting with you and getting to know you. And if you're listening and you made it all the way to the end of the episode, thank you for being here. And Sonia, I hope to see you sometime 
in real life in some part of the world. That would be amazing. It was really great talking with you and I would love to meet up in person <laughs> someday. Yes. Put that wish It'll out happen. there. <laughs> <Sorry>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.